This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Signals from the Frontline, your every Wednesday podcast brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org, where you can get your tabletop gaming goodies at a discount all the days of the year. My name is Reese, a.k.a. Reeseus on the interwebs, and with me, the one, the only, the endangered Rhino. Is that the noise that rhinos make in the wild? Yeah, that's the exact noise they make as they're goring you. Oh, I thought that might have been mating season. That's the other, That's they're the same noise. Oh, <laughs> can I get those two wires crossed, huh? <laughs> a little corn, a little slanesh? Yep, absolutely. Right, I'm into it. This is a 40K rhino at its finest. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, the podcast is going to be a podcast. Those of you who are used to seeing us on Twitch uh, or watching us on YouTube, we, uh, we are in the middle of dealing with the fun and excitement of both the bureaucracy of a small town and Cox Communications as we try to get our building wired. We, uh, we were told that it was wired for the internet when we leased the place. Turns out it's not. And guess what they're saying? This is the just efficiency in action that we can maybe have internet by March or April. Boulder City moved in in November. Is still fighting off that death claw infestation. From, you uh, hand from it, New Vegas, you gotta hand it to them. Well, it's actually because they're, they're well, we, efficient. Well, this time no, it's I was I was teasing the city, but went to uh, one of our the people that work with us went to the city to check on the permit that needed to be filed because there needs to be several permits cox hasn't even filed the permits yet it's actually not the city of bold uh, boulder city it's stupid cox that there's all kinds of jokes that spring to mind but this is a family-friendly show so i'm not gonna <laughs> say it but uh they haven't even filed the dang permits yet and their customer service is r- awful they are one of the most hated companies in the United States of America. Cox is really bad. I've I've dealt with them in the past for my parents who are technology illiterate, and Cox is by far some of the worst conversations and customer service. They I've had. they don't care. They're no. like, yeah, that's the way it is. And I'm like, you realize our business? We have an online business, and we're basically running it off our phones for going on four months now. It's ludicrous. So at any rate, that is why we are uh, podcast only right now because. We don't have the bandwidth to stream at this point in time. So it's going to be old school for a while, but we will be back eventually. Old school? This yeah. is how three quarters of the Frontline Gaming Network chooses to air their shows. Plebs. Please. But speaking Plebs. of the Frontline Gaming Network, that's one place you can follow us. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube. Go to FrontlineGaming.org, bother us, and buy stuff as well. You can also find some of us on Grinder and Growler. I'm on actually RhinoFriendFinders.com. <laughs> you can find me on Casual Encounters. <laughs> uh, uh, all jokes, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what's going on. Actually, you know what, Pablo? Tell me a little bit more about the Frontline Gaming Network. Okay, so Frontline Gaming Network has four amazing podcasts on it. We've got 40K Stat Center. Signals from the front line, which you're currently listening to. We have The Art of War, brought to you by Mr. Nick Nanabadi and John Damaris. And finally, we have Chapter Tactics, where 
this dude talks about kind of 40k for two hours and yeah they're, they're all awesome podcasts chapter tactics and yeah, not so much but you know someone's got to be on the caboose of this train yeah. I, I do like i was talking to val about this recently i do like how every episode is is very distinctly different yeah and and if as val puts it you have no other reason to listen to any other any other things other than the four podcasts and you'll be able to pick up on almost everything 40k competitive 40k related Indeedy. Um, so yeah each one has its own little flavor and of course we wanted to give a special shout out to the art of war they have partnered with frontline gaming as our official list coaching 40k coaching service give them a look they have a really talented team including uh mr brown magic himself nick nonavati and the phoenix rising the wonder kid mr richard siegler matt uh, root matt root there's a they have a whole host of extremely talented uh players tj lanigan to name but a few of the very talented people available to help you up your game so check out the art of war and you can get your list checked you can get a, a private coaching session there's all kinds of awesome stuff that they have to offer and with names like that you know you're getting the highest quality advice possible yeah, I, I wouldn't call it quite a list building empire more like a list building feudal state or something however one thing i have noticed about the people who write lists for an account of in particular is they're always on the cutting edge of what lists are good right so like the they were some of the few people who almost uh caught on to what the Brohammer guys were going to bring to the lvo but the Brohammer guys essentially uh blindsided everyone else in competitive 40k with their iron hands list which won the event uh and did it phenomenally well with with like a plus 70 percent win percentage yeah which was, which was ridiculous um but the the nick notavati list building crew um they they're on the cutting edge of all of that stuff and they have richard siegler as well who who is you know obviously a phenomenal player and has access to that well, great was, bro hammer network number one number one maybe. period um but yeah, so just if you're if you're curious about if you're curious about getting a list built, go go over there, check it out. Those those guys know exactly what they're doing. It, it's just it's phenomenal work, and kudos to Nick and the Brown Magic for for doing it all, making it all possible. I mean, if you can't win a game of 40k after Richard Siegler tells you what to do, you should probably switch to Age of Sigmar. Where, if you're looking to buy Age of Sigmar models, you can go to FrontlineGaming.org and buy GW new box GW Age of Sigmar models and models from our secondhand store. That was a smooth transition, buddy. All right. It's almost like you're a professional. Ah. All right, well, let's talk about what is new and cool in the Games Workshop hobby. Mm. Uh, this week's pre-order, which you can, of course, pick up from us here at Frontline Gaming at discounted prices with free shipping options within the continental United States of America. All kinds of new stuff. Uh, the main, kind of the main attraction is the new Wrath of the Everchosen uh, Age of Sigmar book, part of the Soul Wars series. All kinds of cool new stuff in there. The uh, the new, you know, Chaos generic uh, Slaves to Darkness faction release that came out for Age of Sigmar has been really popular. Amazing models, and there's a bunch of new stuff in this book for you and other factions as well. But beyond that, there's a new Warhammer Underworlds Beastgrave release. Uh, new Warcry releases, Necromunda and Lord of the Rings. So make sure to check that out. You can head on over to store.frontlinegaming.org. Click on the pre-orders tab on the top of the page 
and then you can see all the new goodies available for re release and these will be shipping starting on Friday of this week. I, I believe the Lord of the Rings stuff was the stuff they previewed at the LVO in the Forge World booth with the um, the invisible hobbits. Where it's just a base. Where, I'm into that. Well, <laughs> it's clear it, resin. It's clear resin. Yeah. <laughs> I They should just make all of their models clear resin. Just like, oh, these are invisible space marines. These are invisible termagants and invisible whatever. And then you never have to paint a single model. Because your whole army is camoed. We that's bringing that's bringing the hobby back, as our as our homie Kenny Yo Dog would say, bringing the hobby back. My he would probably just my shake his head invisible. at me. <laughs> just put a bunch of bases down. They're all wearing the ring, the one ring, bro. All right. Uh, beyond the new releases, uh, over at the community page for Games Workshop, which you should definitely check out. It is unreal how popular that part of their website is, like in such a short period of time, the Warhammer community page has become like a behemoth in the... Uh, well, they have the FAQs alone, I imagine. Generate a ton of I, I click on the FAQs like once every other day, you know, and then hang out there for like an hour. They need to just... compile all the FAQs into a single document, which um, Chris Morgan, Captain Brother Captain Morgan, has done. Wow. And uh, I just want to make sure it's okay to post it, but we would like to post it because it's one doc and it's searchable. Yeah. Um, it makes it so much easier. You don't have to click around through all these million different documents. Yes. Um, but on the community page, they have previewed some of the new Night Lords units coming out for the Horus Heresy, these a.k.a. These Terminators 30K. are gorgeous. They're pretty dope. They're pretty amazing. So they are, well, what are they called? I don't remember. Um, they have chain blades. They have no Stroman chain blades sir Strawman. okay sorry i don't even remember how this works they're ap3 that means they ignore a three up armor three up armor it's like i've purged seventh but they've got rending brain. so on a six they have their ap2 on a six i think they just ignore armor oh sure whatever ap2 and ignore armor are almost the same thing yeah i don't whatever dude this, I, this is seventh edition seventh stuff. edition i don't even compute that anymore yeah yeah they're those guys when they talk about i've got friends that play 30k that i spent time with at delvio and when they were talking about their games it was like they were talking gobbledygook to me yeah they're like, like oh yeah and then it's scattered and and, <laughs> like, and they just train tests killed my model and then they broke and failed their morale tests and, and i was just like i have no idea like, what, what you're saying what game are you playing <laughs> But uh, the 30K event at the LVO was actually really, really um, very cool visually. They take such pride oh, yeah. in their armies. And like I always tell people, if you have a chance to go up and check out the mega battle, it's unbelievable. Oh, There's yeah. multiple Warlord Titans. You know, there are a million Titans, period. Thunderhawks. It's, I mean, I'm surprised the table doesn't break with the amount of resin on it. Uh, and they're all beautifully painted. It's, yes. it's really incredible. There's guys that come out from Australia and England every single year. Yeah. Very cool. And... Um, we had 40 people in the narrative tournament. It's a, it's a narrative tournament, right? It's Loyalist versus Traitor. Um, big shout out to Mr. Bill Bonko, who runs it. He does a great job. And while 40 doesn't sound like a big event these days, it was 30 the year before. So it's, you know, like that's considerable growth. And and 30K also, let, let's be honest, 30K it hasn't been played, isn't being played as much as it used to. Well, it, it, was, 40. it was never mega popular, but it, it peaked at the height of the crap of 7th edition. Yes, it, that was we when had, like, we were almost had 100 people. people. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> we had more than 100 for the main event, and and it was like all of the other events were pushing 100 easily. Well, that, and, you know, and that was, you know, they peaked in high school, right? Like that was the big, <laughs> the big show for them. 
I don't think we'll get back to that. I mean, I, no. I hope to be wrong. I 100% ho hope to be wrong. Yeah. But if you're a 30K enthusiast, uh, the LVO offers a really cool, beautiful event. The train's gorgeous. The people who play are diehard 30K players. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> They're also gorgeous. You know what? They're gorgeous because they pay us money. So. Is that how that works? I, it's how it works to me. Fair enough. You're a mercenary <laughs> in your heart and in your eyes. Uh, also, one of the events that at the LVL that was really popular, 30K related, was um, the 4x4 table um, death, death Zone Mortalis. That's zone it. Mortalis. <laughs> zone Mortalis. Zone Mortalis. Dude, we had 20 people playing Zone Mortalis over the weekend. Yeah, and they were up in the Skyview Tower as mm -hmm. well. Yep. And uh, they, they had, there were a couple tables of the, that, awesome gw zone mortalis resin train the forge world yeah 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 and uh i have to say i played a couple games of zone mortalis in um justin's narrative campaigns uh in san diego and they are so much fun just the the hallway battles the fact that explosions can like lead to void issues you need void hardened armor it's just zone mortalis is so fun to play yeah, any like skirmish-based games, I enjoy quite a bit. And the barrier to entry is so much lower. Like Kill Team has been going hot. Um, we had a, the the first Kill Team major was at the LVO. It was well beyond a major, um, and that room was packed, and it was people were having a great time. I I like skirmish level miniatures games a lot, especially now at this point in my gaming career. Um, for me to pick up a new game, I'm far more likely to do it if it's a skirmish-based game. If I only have to paint like ten models, like dude, right on, man. Yep. That sounds like fun. Like painting up, picking up a new army and painting, you know, 100, 200 models does not sound like fun anymore. Um, yeah, it, no. Uh, it's it's just at my age and, and where we're at in our careers and our lives. Like I used to like look forward to starting a new army all for like, I would plan it out for like a year. And now um, it's like, it feels almost like a chore. <laughs> like so. Yeah. And FLGPainStudio.com. <laughs> 40K has, has got that advantage that it has a large not only a large group of people who own models but it also has a lot of people who own models who sell them so it has a really thriving secondhand market and it's one of the few large-scale miniature games in my opinion that are still easy to, to get into um, it, it can be like if you're starting fresh like when you're starting fresh though and it's your first army it's it's such a joy like, yes. you're so excited about it when you're like an old grognard like myself that has you know 15 16 full armies painted yeah. like the the idea like i still get really excited when i'm like writing the list and conceptually like the theme and like the units i want to put in it and then i look at the boxes of models now and i'm like Ugh. Yeah. so the the cycle of life in in a 40k the 40k secondhand player environment is you get the the young guys who who get into it cheap somehow maybe they get models handed down to them by an old grognard and then they build up from there. They get the plastic crack edition. They've become grognards with sixteen armies, and then they sell a bunch of the armies to young guys who are hungry. And then the cycle repeats. So the question is, what came first, the grognard or the bright grog grognard or the the young gun? Well, obviously the grognard had to come first. Well, no, the young gun came first, and he became the grognard. Mm. Can you go full cycle back? From Grognard to Young Gun, <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure Adam's done that at least yeah. once. Adam's Adam's been around for so long; he's probably gone back and forth. Adam Solis from TFG Radio, the Latin who, Gandalf, who sh 
as he calls himself. It's great. It's amazing. Yes. Who, by the way, shout out to uh, the TFG Radio and all of the judges at the LVO who hey. not only did a phenomenal job, but also took care of business. Let's be when... real. They saved Christmas. <coughs> the The judge team, like, I have tremendous respect for the judge team. They work all, like, they literally, they work the entire year to make the show good, to make sure as, as, as realistically as possible they're on the same page, that they can answer the questions. They're on top of the meta. They're on top of all the rules questions. Um, they're constantly helping to put information out there. They do a, they do a great job. This year, with the troubles we had on Friday with VCP, they literally saved the day. They repaired the biggest 40K event in the history of the universe by hand. And then Jason Horn from the Iron Halo, who is a saint. Oh, he's amazing. And a scholar. And he's a, and a Warhammer hero. Yeah, he is. And he deserves it. Yes. In my heart, he's also you know the LVO hero. He wrote a script on the fly. Well, not a script. He wrote, I guess it is in a certain sense, but he wrote some, uh, basically made a spreadsheet that could handle it. <coughs> on on the fly, yes. and um, the, those guys literally saved the day, and we'll go into that more when we talk about the LVO. But can't thank them enough. Like they, in the heat of battle, rose to the occasion, and um, kept the event, the 40k event, from truly going off the rails. So um, why don't we talk about first the new Psychic Awakening book that's been previewed, The Greater Good. And let's take a look at what's coming out for Tau, because there's some really exciting stuff. Okay. Take it away, Rhino. <coughs> Would you, you don't have permission to die until the, we're done with the con- podcast. You know, uh, first off, we've got the stabilization systems. Um, so like, like what, as I understand it, um, as they explained it, the Tau are going to be getting a lot of the same things that the Psychic Awakening treat, treatment, so to speak, but they're also getting... Um, extra systems that you can give uh, to <clears throat> uh, other units like the mutations that Tyranids got, right? So these are just uh, systems and things that you can put into your battle suits and whatever. whatever. So the first one is uh, stabilization systems, which is um, lets your battle suit models do not suffer the penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons. Um, and this is uh, for a, a, the uh, build-your-own-adventure septs. So this is one of them. So all your battle suit models... Don't suffer the penalty for moving, firing heavy weapons. Um, that's okay. It's not. That's great. It's um, it's good for uh, the crisis suits, but I believe everyone else already has that. You no? can you can get it. Oh, I but see. Th- this is uh, really beneficial. <clears throat> like anything that, that I mean, you're increasing your accuracy significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's very very useful. Yep. Uh, and then they have the they revealed also the soldiers and arms ability, which increases your range for the greater good to nine for units with this tenant. Wow. Um, that's that's solid. Uh, I'm curious to see what the others are. Uh, I think that the Tau reaction to this might be 50-50, where half of the people think it's really good and half of the people yeah. are going to compare it to Space Marines, which is pretty much what you get. Tau um, players, the Tau community tends to have a persecution complex anyway. Yeah. It's, yeah. So um, somebody call Recio and let's just ruin all of these, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm embracing this stupid rumor at this point. I'm just like, yeah, we're... We're out to get them. Yeah, absolutely. The FAQ is going to bring it down to three inches. And... <laughs> That's where we'll strike. <laughs> um, but but yeah, uh, increasing for the greater good to nine inches it is pretty good. Uh, I've played against, playing against Tau. Sometimes you look at that six inches and you're like, yes, I, I need to get this charge off. And these units are all out. But nine inches, uh, especially with better positioning, does give your opponent a lot more flexibility. Yeah. And so... 
And it's going to be curious to see if this brings some of the, the Tau players back out. And, of course, I'm joking with all the Recio stuff. That dastardly dude. We haven't seen him in a long time, actually. I wonder where he's going to make another appearance. He's, he's floating around in your head somewhere. Wait, it's not me, though. Like, I've tried to explain this to people. It literally is not me. No, no, I get it. It's the other you. It's the... <laughs> right. <laughs> it's when I go away. <laughs> okay, we shouldn't be making fun of mental illness. I apologize. But Oh, come on. you got to be able to crack some jokes. People need to lighten up a little bit. You're right. Um, but no, it, it, genuinely, it's not me or yeah. any version of me. But um, I'm going to be curious to see if this will entice players like Richard Siegler um, and some of the more well-known Tau players that come out of the woodwork. Uh, the Andrew Gagnos, people who traditionally play Tau primarily. Uh, and Brian Pullen did still go five and one at the LVO with Tau. So, but you know, Richard Siegel went nine and zero, won the whole dang thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if this is enough to get them back, feeling confident that they can, yeah. you know, tango with Marines. Uh, so let's talk about the first. Uh, so these are prototype weapon systems, is what I talked about earlier. Uh, the one they revealed was Advanced EM Scrambler, which you can give to a Ghost Keel battle suit. It gives them a 12-inch, no reinforcement setup bubble, like what the Phobos Captain and infiltrators. The, the Infiltrators get for That's Space Marines. That's something Tau need. It comes on a Ghost Keel, which, which, as I understand, is a little bit of an over-costed, sub-efficient model. However, I see them in competitive lists on occasion. They're, they're, they can be competitive. On occasion. And this might give them the boost they need to be taken in all the Talus. Because I know a 12-inch reinforcement, no reinforcement bubble for a Tau is, is exactly what they want. There are Tau players who are even using stealth suits just to push back the Space Marine, Raven Guard, White Scars, Menace. Right. So uh, this is good. It's on a, a model that is very durable, um, especially with drones, and also uh, durable against shooting as well, and can put out some firepower. I think that's great. Anything that makes units that are less seen more appealing is a win. Yeah. And then with that nine inch greater good, you can spread out and have rip, like three riptides nine inches away from that ghost kill who's already pushing you 21 inches away. And then those riptides overwatch on you as well. So when you're charging that, if you try to charge that ghost kill, um, it's going to be a world of yeah, hurt. It, yeah. And you have to get past the ghost kill to get to the riptides. Oh, that's excellent. So then we have a stratagem coordinated engagement to CP. Use the stratagem in your shooting phase. Select one XV-8 crisis battle suit or crisis battle guard unit from your army and select one enemy unit. Until the end of that phase, when resolving an attack made by a model in that uh, crisis suit unit uh, against that enemy unit, treat that enemy unit as having five marker light counters. No, this is two CP, you get five marker lights for one unit. Pretty good. That's, that's really good. When Magnus or Morty or whatever is coming in hot and you've got a big unit of... Crisis suits, like Frankie frequently likes to run a full unit of crisis suits with all missile pods. Yep. This all of a sudden makes that pretty nasty. Yeah, and and uh, th there's... Plus one to hit, ignore cover, oh, all yeah. kinds of stuff. With Farsight Enclaves, they've got the ability to have a crisis suit bomb drop down, and blow. this would just make that so much easier. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this makes that even scarier than yes. it already was. Yeah, And, and, and then and you can put your marker lights on another unit, for your riptides or whatever yep. to focus on. Yeah, yeah. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but Crisis, I believe, went down in Chapter Approved. Yeah, they did. So They were pretty expensive before. Yeah. So. I, I believe they did, yes. I don't have it right in front of me. So that one's excellent. Um, and then we got some Farsight Enclave goodies. And I know the common perception is that Farsight Enclave isn't great, but the Crisis Suit Bomb is actually really good. Frankie's used it like quite a bit in testing and in, in um, uh, tournaments. Uh, and this was before a lot of the buffs they got, right? 
And uh, he didn't, you know, set the world on fire with it, but it was viable competitively, and now I think it's going to be even more so. Yeah, I remember the the crisis suit bomb being able to kill a knight easily. Oh, e- easily. Um, so I, it would be curious to see how what it does against the unkillable Iron Hands, Leviathan Dreadnoughts. Well, that thing or, is just stupid. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I fully imagine GW is going to FAQ bits and pieces of that in April or maybe even sooner. But um, for now... It'd be interesting to see how much damage, you know, the crisis suit bomb does to Space Marine Iron Hands list in general. Yeah, um, I mean that. Fingers. Let's hope. And then again, let GW know they do 100% pay attention. Go to their Facebook page. Make a very polite. <laughs> speak to them the way you would want to be spoken to. Don't be one of the whiny idiots that's cursing and no one pays attention to that. Uh, but but let go like, hey, GW, probably wasn't intended, but. Can we please fix this crazy um, cogitated martyrdom combo uh, that we saw prominently displayed at the LVO? Can we please fix that? Because it's super not fun. Yes, and it really isn't fun <laughs> It's at all. dumb. Oh my gosh. I mean, I tip my hat to the guys for cracking the code and figuring it out. That took some quite a bit of cleverness, but uh, no one else saw it, right? Like that was sure. quite clever. Well done. All right, let's get rid of it. <laughs> it's stupid and unenjoyable. <laughs> Uh, it's not good for the game. Yeah. And even the guy, if you listen to the 40K Stat Center, the Ocho coverage, uh, Richard Siegler and John Lennon, who were both interviewed, even they went on record as saying, like, oh, yeah, we know this is broken. We're, we're partially doing this so that people can, so that GW can fix it. Oh, yeah, sure. They 100% did it to try and maximize their odds of winning. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 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 However. Don't put on the, don't put on the uh, good guy hat. <laughs> Yeah. Come on. Although they both are really good guys. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's not. Let's not. Yeah. You can't polish this turd, all right? Well, one one thing one thing that I think a lot of, one misconception about those top players that a lot of people kind of have is that those guys actually do care a lot about the game too. Oh. They care about balancing it. They care about GW uh, finding the broken stuff for GW to fix. That's something that that is on their mind. They'll obviously they're competitors. They will obviously give whatever broken stuff GW lets them off clearly. Um, and they'll use that to their full advantage. However, um, it's not with ill intent. It's not like it's like not they're malicious. going out. To, yeah, it's not yeah. malicious at all. Uh, and a lot of those guys do pride themselves on finding things for GW to fix. Well, it's, they have a vested interest in the game being as good and popular yeah. as it can be. And Richard, um, I believe John as well, but Richard for sure is jumping in on this push to try to supplement or um, have your primary income be as a result of being good at the game. So these players at the tippy top, they have there, it is in their best interest for the game to be balanced. Right? Yes. So while they will use whatever tools are available to them, it's not, you know, as we were saying, it's not malicious. Um, they're not like bad dudes. They're actually really, really nice guys. Uh, but yeah, they, the, 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 the players that are that are have the most to gain from the game being as big as it can be and as good as it can be, they have a vested interest in it being fair and balanced because everyone knows that that's the path to having the game be popular. Yes, absolutely. Right? Like StarCraft, for example, a great example of a game that is still wildly popular because it is widely considered to be one of the most balanced RTSs ever made. Yeah, and, and not just StarCraft too. Uh, I read an article, this is actually a couple of years ago now, 
um, of a of a player in Korea who had found a new strategy for Brood War, and Brood War has been around since the nineties. Yes, and that is a game that has been played and thought to have been played to death, where every strategy was already figured out, and then this guy comes out of nowhere and just starts winning with this new strategy. He just you know, switched some numbers around, built some things differently, and just completely changed the meta and the face of that game. And there's just so much depth to a game that's just really balanced. Yeah. So, and it's the, the cool thing is, is one discovery leads to a changing landscape, which all of a sudden makes every it shakes things up completely, even without any new rules, any new FAQs, nothing. Mm-hmm. One like a unit that was not good can all of a sudden become good because the environment has changed, and yeah. we see that happen all the time. Um, the pace of the change in 40k right now, I think I, I understand from a business perspective why um, they're doing this. But as a player of the game, I would actually enjoy it if they slowed it down just a bit so that we could settle at least a tiny bit. But that's probably not going to Yeah, happen. it's it's super interesting. So just to get in, I, I know we're getting into the weeds a little bit here, but this is something that I'm super passionate about. And this is game design uh, from a game design perspective. Uh, like League of Legends updates their game every two weeks. There's always a patch update. And for the pros for that game, sometimes pros complain that there's too many updates. But League is obviously a super successful game. No one's going to argue with the success of League or 40K? or StarCraft or 40K, right? So it, it's it's really interesting. And, and all I wanted to say from that is like from a game design perspective, um, <clears throat> it's difficult to choose a philosophy that works for your community and works for your game and you know it's just like it's not as clear cut as like i don't like this rapid release schedule because there's just so much more that goes into it yeah i mean well everyone's free to have an opinion on it of course everyone does yeah yeah but um if you know if i had a magic wand i would not want to go back to the days of fifth where we got two to three codexes a year and that's it uh and like literally everyone in the community would have memorized and mastered the codex by the time the next one came out yeah. Um it it really made for a sense of the good players felt like they they genuinely mastered the game. Like truly grandmaster level knowledge where where what a player could legit could legitimately claim to know all, all or almost every rule in the game, right? right? To now where we're going at this like very very rapid pace and it's the wild west and you know you don't even have time to discover every combo in a book before uh, or not even remotely close. So it's like the depth of options and combos and, and stuff out there is, is it's like the ocean. Right. Yeah. And like, we've looked at the, you know, the sea of Cortez and there's just 90% of it is unexplored. Yeah. And it, it, it's cool from a list building perspective. Cause you, there's so much that you can do. And, and the majority of the, the community kind of plays follow the leader, right? They just look at the lists that are winning and then they, they mimic that. But if you're a creative army builder like a Sean Naden, um, somebody like that, this provides you with almost infinite fodder to come up with new cool combos. The downside is that um, if you're a very competitive player that really wants to master the game, it's essentially impossible to do at this point. The best you can do is focus on what is the majority of people doing at this point in time. Uh, trying to have your head wrapped around the game fully, I don't even think is doable. Yeah. Meta sniping or, 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 you know, building your list for the meta. And and we actually saw that at the LVO a little bit. Uh, the Iron Hands list, definitely, that, that the Brohammer team created definitely pinpointed the meta. However, there were lists in the pool that could have destroyed that list. Jeff Poole comes to a perfect mind example. Yeah. Jeff Poole was literally like, 
yeah, I, I want to play any of the Space Marine lists, and I will win this whole event if I play. But, but you've got Sean Naden. The two Xenos players drew each other in round, the finals. Oh, my gosh. So yeah. frustrating. And then a lot of people have had have complained about that game. If you want to watch it, you have to subscribe to GW's Twitch, and then you can watch the VOD. And the, it's because the game like went really slow, and the thing is is that I know that that's frustrating as a viewer, but both players were going at very, very quick pace. They were in melee at the top of the first turn. And when you have a horde army versus a, a, an army like Sean's, that's high, he has to be ultra precise with the placement of every model or he's going to lose the game. Um, they, the, neither player was slow playing at all, like not even remotely close. They were going as fast as they could, but they only got through like four turns. Ba- barely, barely, barely got through four turns. Yeah, they're, and those are two phenomenal experienced players that, yeah. that I absolutely would not have accused of slow playing. No, I was, I mean, obviously with shoutcasting the game, Frankie oh, yeah. and I, and like I, on, the, on the game, I was trying to explain to people, I'm like, neither player is slow playing, they're in melee, and it's just, it's a, unfortunately, the way the game works right now, when you get into melee, on the top of turn one, you're not finishing that game. The reason, well, I mean, if you table somebody, I, there, it is conceivable, but when you have like an orc army with 250 models like Jeff's, um, he has to move the majority of his army every single model multiple times every single player turn. Yes, and each army is playing in every single phase. They're all playing in the moving phase, really a lot of moving phase. They're all psychic phasing, they're all they're shooting, and they're charging with all of the intricacies and the cl- well then you have, to, you have to charge piling yeah all the intricacies removing yeah. models and it's and sean has to be precise because he doesn't have the he can't win the attrition war he has to be very 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 precise jeff wants to maximize the amount of guys that can get in and swing so both players were doing what they had to do and it's just the nature of the way the game is played right now that when you like all the time if i get into melee early turn one i'm like this game's probably not going to turn six. Yes. But, uh, you know, that said, if you want to watch a display of expert level play, watch how Sean won that game. It was truly impressive. Surgical precision. Absolutely executed perfectly how to take Jeff's army apart with limited resources available to him as a... um, Eldar player and still using Yanari. I know they've massively fallen out of favor. Go watch Sean play. He uses that, um, uses the, the, um, the monster, my, the Incarn. Incarn with like, it's incredible how he uses that model. Oh yeah. But, uh, really interesting to go check that out. I mean, those are masters of the game playing the game. Back to Tau. Let's go back to Tau. <laughs> Danger close. Uh, and then again, we're talking about Tau and Psychic Awakening. Use a stratagem in your shooting phase when a breacher team or strike team from your army is choosing to shoot with until the end of that phase when resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon by a model in that unit against an enemy unit within 12 inches, you can re-roll the wound roll, one CP. Yes. Not bad. Really, really good. Rerolling not wound rolls bad. on breacher teams is not bad. Yeah, well, I mean, just strike teams for, with all, like, getting them extra shots and everything yeah. else. You can really, I mean, strength five already going to be winning most things on threes. You're going to be going up to twos. Uh, you can really, really do some work yeah. with uh, one of these units for one CP. And then we have another Farsight Enclave's Warlord trait. This is Aggressive Tactician. Uh, it's for a Tau Commander model. I'm sorry, and that's reroll wounds, not plus one to wound, like yeah, I said. Yeah, it's reroll yeah, wounds. Which yeah. is, in a lot of cases, better. But Yes. Um, <clears throat> go ahead. Uh, yep, Aggressive so, Tactician. Yeah, uh, it's uh, the Montca. When the Farsight Enclave's unit uh, commander uh, declares Montca, it affects all units within 12 inches instead of 6 inches. That's really good. 
And then we got the mirror codex. When resolving an attack made by a model with this relic against a unit that is within 18 inches, you can reroll the hit roll. Obviously, it's amazing, especially for BS4 Tau units. Yes. Very, very good. Um, the reactions have been mostly positive uh, on that one. And let's take a look at the Gene Sealer Colt uh, faction focus. And look at what they got going on. And uh, the reactions have been a little bit all over the place on this. Yeah, yeah. This this one was so while the computer's loading up and we're we're getting all that out. Um, I felt like this one might have been the the worst release out of or the worst reveals out of the the two between Tau and Gene Sealer Colt. Um, also, Gene Sealer Colt are are in such a weird spot. They actually had a really they had one player do really well with Gene Sealer Colt at the LVO. Um, yeah, with a Ridge in, Runner list. Which sorry to interrupt you, but uh, if you want to read an article about it, go, go to Frontline Gaming uh, or The Art of War and mm-hmm. that player who played the the really interesting Ridge Runner list. And it was it wasn't it was Forces of the Hive Mind. He had Tyranny too. Yep. Um, he explains how he did it in that article. If anybody's curious to see it. Yeah, but other than other than a few, I think Fringe because uh, I believe also Rock Liberty did really well at the LVO too with Gene. He Circle. almost made the top eight. Yes, he, he was lost he, in the Shadow Round. Yeah, but Rock Liberty. Um, so there were there were some Gene Circle good goodness at the LVO recently. However, the faction as a whole, especially since Space Marines and since Chapter Approved gutted them, has been in an awful spot. So, you know, it's it's in it's in a weird spot right now. I feel like they've got some play, but it, it does feel like a very underpowered faction. So people are going to be looking at this, especially Gene Circle players are going to be looking at these rules with a very, very critical eye. Yeah, um, they definitely got the short end of the stick with Chapter Approved, but... That's one of the downsides <clears throat> to the way GW currently releases rules is that um, when you're working on a supplement that's supposed to basically be the patch for the game and it's way it's made far before it comes out, it's just not going to be it's not going to reflect the current state of the game. It can't. It's not possible, right? Yes. It's like out of date when it comes out. It's still way, 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 way better than nothing. But um, it's it's never going to be laser beam accurate. All right, so we're going to just cover uh, really quickly prepared ambush, the Gene Sealer Cold Stratagem. We're running a little long, and then we can give this some more attention later. But again, if you want to go read it in in depth, go over to frontlinegaming.org or the Warhammer community site, and you can see it. Um, maybe not. Omnisaya be praised. We were actually able to make it work. Pablo, why don't you kind of quickly run us through some of these yeah so the first thing this is uh i think this is part of the build your own adventures uh is agile outriders which applies to biker models with the cult creed with this cult creed do not suffer the penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons and do not suffer the penalty for advancing and firing assault weapons this is previously a rule only available to rusted claw however now it's something that you can give to your whole army or all your bikers at least um also, the second one they revealed for the Choose Your Own Adventure cult rules was Unnatural Symbiosis. So when a psychic test is taken for a cult model with this creed, within six inches of another friendly cult model, you can reroll any or all dice rolls of one. So that's really good. Excellent. That's the psychic, the, they feed off of each other and makes their psychers really a lot more efficient. Uh, they also each they also got six new psychic powers, one for each uh, uh, discipline, uh, or one for each uh, cult creed uh, for Twisted Helix is the one they revealed it's called Mutagenic Deviation this one's really powerful so warp charge value of 6 and you give it to one 
enemy infantry unit within 12 inches of the Psyker until the start of your next Psychic Phase when resolving an attack made by a model, any Twisted Helix model from your army against that enemy unit, you add one to the wound roll. That's so excellent. It's uh, it's what the Eldar have with the, um, what's it called? Uh, the, the Eldar Doom. Oh, Doom is uh, reroll failed wound rolls. Okay, it's kind of like Doom, but it's plus one to wound, and it's only in melee. So that's still that's really, really good. good. Especially with, you know, like Gene Steelers and such, yeah. where they have, you know, exploding like sixes do something magical. Yeah. Anytime you have that mechanic, this obviously is going to help you. Unless, of course, the new rules where it says unmodified rules of six. Absolutely. And then finally, they gave us one stratagem, uh, which was for one CP, you can give one neophyte hybrids unit from your army, uh, make their autoguns assault two instead of what, assault one or whatever they are before. So they, they become assault two. Uh, that's that's it. Excellent. So Gene Steeler Cole players, you know, whether you love it or hate it, you're getting new rules, which is objectively going to help. And uh, we'll have to wait and see how it impacts their performance overall. And, and then one final thing, they, re- they revealed Shadow Sun. Uh, yeah, go for it. They revealed Shadow Sun. Um, basically, uh, I, I actually exited out of the article, but basically with Shadow Sun, they revealed her drones that you get for her, and it gives you a... a a model-wide six-up feel-no-pain around the drones. Excellent. Which is really, it was pretty good. Nice. Yeah. And, of course, the new model is going to be badass. Yes. All right. So that's the new Psychic Awakening. Very excited to see uh, more of it. And uh, keep your eye on the Warhammer community page to get the latest and the greatest. Uh, but we have some really exciting news. The Venerable Bay Area Open, the event that started everything here at Frontline Gaming, is open for registration. You want to head over to the KublaCon site or go to the uh, Frontline Gaming site. You can click on the Bay Area Open event information article or click on the banner that uh, tells you about the BAO. You can click through it and it'll give you all the pertinent information. You will purchase your tickets on the KublaCon site. Make sure to read the ticket description. Some of the main event tickets come with a con badge and that's going to be like the 40k uh, championships, Age of Sigmar championships. But we also have a wide variety of other events. We have uh, Sunday RTTs, similar to what we have at the LVO, and those events are, are largely already updated. We <laughs> into the rankings. Um, and we're going to have uh, Age of Sigmar uh, for fun event, a double laid-back doubles event. We're going to have the championship, uh, the 40K championship. Uh, could be, I, I anticipate it will be, a true super major and we have codified that description as a part of the itc update which is occurring right now we'll talk about that in a second but uh, the bao will be a friday saturday event with the finals on sunday a la las vegas open oh wow and we have room for 256 uh the event has sold out every year for like nine years yeah the bao always usually could hit those big numbers it did yeah it does unless something changes this year i don't anticipate it will um, it should be a true super major. So make sure to grab those tickets. Um, it is going to fill up quick. Now that the LVO is behind us, people are looking for the next big thing. The BAO looks like it will be it. Uh, so make sure to grab those tickets soon. Don't wait. And if you get it within, I think it's by February 15th, it's actually the, the ticket is cheaper. Um, you save some money. So make sure to go over there and grab those tickets and save yourself some dough. Can't wait to see you. Uh, we are in a new hotel. It's just down the street from the one that we were in last year. It's the, um, I think uh, it's the Marriott. I can't remember the exact name. It's on the event uh, description. It's, I think it's the Hyatt. No, it's it's, it's at the, Mar- the Marriott. We're at the Marriott. It's okay. I can't remember. It's the like, the Regency 
SFO Marriott or something like that. But the information is on the on the link. You can go ahead and click through. It's right on the water. It's a beautiful, beautiful venue. We have more room than we did last year. Nice. Last year we basically had the whole hotel to ourselves. This year we do it's essentially the same deal, but it's bigger. So uh, make sure to stay at the event or at the hotel if at all possible. Um, the Kublai Khan event organizers. It's the same deal as always. They're on the hook for some of the rooms. It really helps to support the con. If you can stay at the hotel, please do. Um, it is a little pricey, but it's the Bay Area of California. It's literally the most expensive place in the United States. Um, but it's lovely, and it just makes your life so much easier um, yeah. when you stay at the hotel because parking can be a little bit of an, an annoyance yeah. if you're commuting in and out. Gorgeous. Can't wait to see everybody. The train's going to be beautiful. Uh, we're going to be probably taking out the top 100 tables. I'm going to see if I can modify them before the event. I want to add some more ruins to them. If you can believe that, it's going to be even better. Um, the feedback we got on the morphing terrain for the top 100 tables was extremely positive. So I think we're going to keep rolling with that uh, for the time being. Uh, so yeah, make sure to come on out. It's going to be a lot of fun. And there's going to be other events that are going to be coming added to the roster in March. I don't know why KublaCon wants to do it that way, but that's the way they want to do it. We'll have the Long War Doubles event that we had last year uh, and some other fun stuff. In addition, we'll also have Kill Team. Going to be an absolute blast, and it's going to be one of the biggest points-earning events of the season. So if you are hunting those points, make sure to come out. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you could win the first Belt of In Control. The, belt, the belt of Russ. Russ is going to be, or has been, memorialized to remember our dear friend Jeff. He won the event. It was a big deal to him. And uh, we are renaming the Belt of Russ into the Belt of In Control. I am so excited. Yeah, it's going to be cool. The LVO 2020 is on the books. What a fun time. Uh, let's chat about some of the cool things that happened. By now, hum- <laughs> humorously, we're a little late to the game and the chit-chat about the LVO, but that's because um, coming out of the event, it's... A lot of people think that, like, we get a chance to rest. Like, we don't. No. I, I, I personally did not have a day off until Saturday, this last Saturday after the event. It was yeah. nonstop morning to night every single day since, and it has been again. Yeah. We, we took Saturday and kind of Sunday off to re- rest and recoup. Yeah. It's just, it's been yeah. manic. Yeah, right. I got I I got really sick after the LVO, so I forced myself to take a day off on Thursday and Wednesday. But even then, I was I was doing emails and, you know, you never really you never really uh, stop, um, you know, until weeks after the event. Yeah, Frankie and I didn't get done with the unload until Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, right. And so, like, think about that. <laughs> we were still working all day every day until Wednesday afternoon and then immediately had to start going into meetings right afterwards. So not, not complaining at all. It's just, that's part of the deal. Um, but the reason I say that is if you are one of the hundreds of people waiting on an email response, uh, I'm, we're doing our best. I think most everybody's caught up. I know Frankie's still behind. I've answered 300 emails and I'm still at 530 unanswered unread. So Please yeah, just bear with us. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing all, our best. Yeah, we're all we're all um, getting caught up as much as we can with the emails, but it's just it's a lot. It is, and it's like a hydra. I answer one, I get two more. I'm like, ah. Uh, uh, so we're doing our best. Some of you have been waiting a very long time. There's just literally not enough time in the day. Um, besides, you know, Saturday when we, I actually slept, but I don't feel bad about that. Um, our personal problems aside, why don't we talk about the event? So aside from the very obvious, very glaring 
uh, faux pas by our friends at BCP. The app, um, the app, excuse my French, but it took a shit on Friday, which was extraordinarily frustrating. And we are taking steps to ensure that that is never something that can happen again. Um, beside, aside from that, the event was really a smashing success in every mm-hmm. other measurable metric. Um, of course, some people were upset about that, screwed up their plans. You know, the judges missed their dinner they always go to. We missed our staff dinner we always go to. And um, that was extraordinarily frustrating. Um, but aside from that, the event ran really, really smoothly. Um, a couple little hiccups here and there, normal stuff with, you know, the administration of something this complex. There's always going to be some mix-ups. Yes. Um, but for the most part, this was the best administrated LVO we've ever had. The, the biggest LVO we've ever had. The event grew by over 30% from last year, which is nuts. We had thousands of people from all around the world, from as far away, Iceland, Singapore, Australia, uh, all over Europe, Canada even, Mexico. It was really wonderful um, to see so many people having fun playing games. Okay. Uh, and of course, uh, tons of other amazing stuff going on, but our crown jewel event, the 40K Championships, the biggest ever was, it was astounding, right? Like the event center, the room it's held in, was the entire event, not but three years ago, four years ago. Now that one room, 40,000 square feet, was a single 40K tournament. It was insane. It was so neat to see it. And if if I do say so myself, all the terrain looked really good. It did. For an event that big. Yes. Right? So for everybody out there who's like, you know, still using janky terrain at their tournament, um, there's no excuse. Up your game. If we can do it for 800 players, you can do it for 80. Yeah. Uh, my thoughts... On the LVO, I actually talked about talked about it already on Chapter Tactics, uh, where I talked about um, I was very honest about the BCP thing as well as the LVO as well. So I would listen to that uh, that episode um, for a more rundown. But I will say that uh, this year at the LVO, it, you know, I obviously Reese and Frankie were streaming, um, so Jason and I uh, took over and kind of um, ran ran the event. Um, don't uh, uh, don't the, hurt your shoulder patting yourself on the back well, there, like, buddy. Not, like like ran, administrated the you event were the head administrators at the event, at the event as yes. it was yes so like um w- which was a lot of actually had a lot of fun doing it it was very fulfilling um but yeah there was there's so many groundbreaking things that happened at this year's lvo that I'm, makes me so excited for the future um in particular the ffg uh, events all went really really well and other than the 40k champs um, a lot of the events really went really smoothly, um, with the exception of the BCP thing as well, which did affect other events too. Yeah, uh, I mean, to be fair to those guys too, like um, the it didn't it didn't it was only like two events that really got side sidelined. Yes, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, but un- unfortunately, they were it was also two of the two biggest, biggest events. events. Yeah. Um, but uh, and for those of you who are curious, as it has been explained to me, I am not a tech expert, but as it's been explained to me, because of course, going into the event. We have a meeting and I'm like, guys, what do we need to do to make sure it runs smoothly, right? We've had hiccups now three years in a row on day one. This is unacceptable. What do we need to do, right? And so every year we get more server space, et cetera, et cetera. So as I understand it, for those of you who are curious, this year the problem was um, part of the app is being run through Google, part run through Amazon and uh, an Amazon cloud server uh, service. The Google side of it throttled data uh, and they did not. They were not aware that this was something that could happen. 
which I understand that mistakes are made, but it was a spectacular mistake in this instance. And it, uh, don't need to keep hammering on that part of it. It's obvious. But um, what had happened was is that Google started throttling data and it just slowed the app to halt. And then when they finally got it back, uh, when, they, when they resolved that issue, which took most of the day on Friday, um, what happened was that so many people had queried the system as it's been explained to me, that then they was trying to work through like thousands and thousands of, of hits on the server trying to feed this data out. Um, and it just caused it basically to just completely fail. Um, and the other, what, what exacerbated the problem is that they had converted all the lists into an image file instead of an, a text file. Obviously, those of you who are familiar with it, image files are bigger, considerably bigger than a text file. So it, it just it, it just caused like a chain reaction. Um, and then when you've got CanCon also running on it at the same time, which is the biggest event in Australia, and then you've got thousands and thousands of people around the world pinging the server trying to get the same data, it just caused a train wreck. Yes. Right? And again, big thanks to the LVO judges. They were able to recover manually. Big big shout out to D and his crew over at X-Wing. They on the fly switched switched it up and they were able to recover on their own. Our judges were, were able to make it work basically on their own. Um, but people were like, oh, why didn't you have a backup system in place? I was like, well, I had every assurance possible that it was not going to be, that they stress tested it far beyond the capabilities of what would possibly happen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I trusted that that was accurate because again, I'm not a tech expert. So, but now we're taking steps that there will be multiple redundancies. This will never happen again. Oh yeah. This is not, this is for sure. We, this is our top priority to make sure that we don't have, this does not happen again. Yeah. Cause it was the only blemish on what was otherwise a fantastic event. Yeah. Um, and like I said, massive growth, smiling faces, people were having a good time. And, um, it was really an awesome event. It was great to see how much it had grown and a ton of fun. It has been really good to see the feedback. Um, mostly very, very positive aside from the delays on day one. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, just kind of give like a, uh, an idea of some of what was going on there. For those of you who didn't have a chance to go, um, you can go and check out the coverage on games workshops, uh, Twitch, uh, you have to subscribe to see the VODs, but there's some really, really good content there. I, I recommend considering subscribing to their, uh, Twitch. It keeps that going and they've got more and better and cooler stuff on the way. And you get to see some really expert level play. It's those last games on the final day, were like unbelievable skill level. Yes. Oh, unreal. That game between Sean and Richard was like on a different level of 40k. One thing I I want to add to that is uh compared to last year's LVO, which I, which I think was was kind of on the back of my mind as I was watching the top 8. Um the this year's top 8 the players were the arguably the strongest top eight we've ever had at the LVO. Every single player, the 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 dark horses were Jeff Poole and Sean Naden. Well, Sean wasn't a dark horse. Oh, you're right. Sean Nane was dark. Je- Jeff, Jeff was really, like, he was the dark horse. Yeah, but Jeff has also been in the top eight at the LVO before yes. and is another phenomenal player. Yeah, and Sean has been in it every yes. single year and has won the LVO, so yes. I would not call so, him a dark horse. You're right. But, but uh, 
and, and when I mean dark horse, it's because obviously Sean Naden, considering John Naden, a dark horse is almost paradoxical. But that's that's what I mean by how good the top eight was. Was that Sean Naden going into the event by top level players wasn't picked to like win the event because he wasn't playing Space Marines because Space Marines were, you know. It, so, anyways, obviously, I, I didn't doubt Sean Naden going into the event. I I knew for sure he'd be be make the top eight because he makes the top eight every year, literally one hundred percent of the time. Um, but it was just. Every single player, all the games were just phenomenal. Um, I think that last year, the finals game between Brandon and Alex Harrison was better than this year's finals game. However, the I, overall docket was... The, this year's game was, a, uh, I think, a higher... I wouldn't even say that. Last year's final game was phenomenal. It was... It was Brandon plotting it out from, the, from pre-game to the end game accurately was yeah. a thing of beauty. The, the play between Brad and Richard on the final game this year, I would say, was was equal level of skill. Yes. Maybe you could argue a higher level of skill. It was it was a game of cat and mouse. It was very cagey. But the the the, comp, the mental computations that were going on there were yes. incredible. But the game for me, though, the game of the finals was Sean Richard. That game was oh, that one game of the nuts. most impressive games of 40K I've ever seen in my life it looked like sean had utterly outwitted richard in the in the first three turns yes and on the chat or in the in the as a shoutcaster frankie and i were like this is incredible he's going to win the game without even killing us yeah Sh- sean naden was was doing the like the ufc fighter walk around the hexagon yeah. holding his fists in the air yep. telling people like oh yeah i'm pretty sure i've got this and it looked like it and and richard siegler beep calm, boop bopped calm as a, as a cucumber and we were like, he's out. He he got Sean beat him in deployment. Yes. Nope. In secondary selection and deployment. And then Richard found a way, just as with the game with Brad, where it looks like he was losing the whole game. All like by turn three, four, or four, five, six, all of a sudden he found a path to victory. And on both games, I was like, this kid is a he's fire, man. Like he's yep. he is the real deal. Because in the game against Sean, I was like, oh, okay, we're seeing the greater level of experience. Sean yes. is out is outwitted him. But and Richard was on his back foot and clawed his way to victory. Yeah, both games it was really, really impressive. Yeah, um, yeah. From from an entertainment perspective, the top eight. It's every year. It's it's great. Every year the we've top gotten eight, really it. lucky. It's never been yeah. a like when you when you have like a crappy Super Bowl, right? Where it's like a blowout or something, and right. you're like, we've no, luckily we haven't had that yet. It's been very exciting. Yeah. Um, and on the Age of Sigmar side of things. Really, really fun games. If you want to check those out, most of them are up on our YouTube, uh, Frontline Gaming's YouTube channel. So if you want to go check those out, you can. And then 40K Stats Center of the Ocho. They were uh, providing additional coverage. They covered a lot of the other tables that were going on during the top eight. There were some really exciting games. Yeah. Uh, like, gosh, some of those games were incredible. Like uh, Pamperine and Lennon, their game was incredible. Um, John Lennon versus Brad Chester. That game was nuts. It came down to Brad's scout making like 10 saves in a row against all odds. Yeah, they the, got him into the finals. The game that Manny Chima lost. Yeah, Manny was on lost the ad center. Yeah. Was on the stat center, the Ocho. And that his, was the one where Manny Chima killed like 50 intercessors turn one. His list is disgusting. Yeah. Again, Forge World. Yo, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, if. The coverage this year was was phenomenal. We had we had the main event coverage with the GW stream covering the the top table, you know, matchup, kind of like the Super Bowl esque thing. Or if you watch the Olympics, the main events, and then we had the stats under the Ocho with the interviews, the drone uh, cam, the drone which was cam. Awesome. 
yeah, just just giving you an idea of the scale of the event and and getting players who normally wouldn't have a voice on camera to talk about their games and also getting games that normally wouldn't be wouldn't be seen as well. So it was it was phenomenal. It was absolutely everything I've dreamed about for the LVO for 40k champs coverage. Um, it was it was really 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 good. Um, obviously, some of the delays on Friday made it a little bit more challenging, but um, finished extremely strong. And uh, again, we covered the entire AOS event as well. So if you want to go check that out, you can do so either on Frontline Gaming's Twitch or our YouTube channel. And there's some really great games going on on that side of it as well. And then to talk uh, briefly about some of the other events, we had record-breaking attendance, as I'm sure uh, Paul already talked about on his podcast. For FFG Games, we blew it out. For you know, We had over 300 unique X-Wing players, uh, a ton of Legion um destiny had almost 100 players even though the game got canceled it was very impressive um infinity again put up really good numbers blood bowl we had almost 30 people playing blood bowl which is super exciting we already talked about 30k the 40k friendly which is a awesome event for those of you who really want to come and be a part of the excitement of an event like the lvo but the the champs maybe isn't your flavor or maybe you're you're a younger player like a lot a lot of kids play in the friendly a lot of fathers play with their sons it's very cool the 40K Friendly is uh, very popular. It's a 120-player event, and it goes Saturday, Sunday, two games per day, four hours per round, very chill, um, awesome event. We always get really, really, really positive feedback about that. Yeah. Thanks to Rob for running it. He did a great job. The, the 40K Friendly event is the – if I were to, to go into 40K retirement running events, I would want to retire running the 40K Friendly event. It's so chill. <laughs> and the paint jobs on some of the armies, go check out the Facebook page for it. Some of those armies are astounding. They're oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the 40K Narrative, obviously 150-player event, was very, very popular again. Um, that And then we are bidding a fond farewell to the crew that ran it, Justin and his crew. They did a, they've done a great job. They've been with us for three years. They've um, uh, decided they want to take a little break. It's a lot of work. So if you are out there, if you're an aspiring 40K Narrative event organizer, you think that you've got what it takes to manage a 150-player event, weave together an exciting and compelling narrative and get people playing, please reach out. We are recruiting. Contact at frontlinegaming.org and let us know what experience you have, kind of your vision in bullet points. Please don't write a novel. Probably won't read it. And let us know if you think you got what it takes. It's a lot of fun. And the people that come to the event year after year love it. And you get to work with some really cool people, like a lot of the uh, creative staff from Blizzard plays in it every single year. Yeah. Um, they're in, I don't want to blow anybody's cover or anything but there's a lot of very interesting people that come and really enjoy the event yeah oh yeah uh, we also had our first age of sigmar narrative event this year and it was a from what i un, would have been related to me was extremely popular mm. so if you're an age of sigmar player and that game really lends itself to a narrative game um the event sold out at 24 uh, the judge the to wanted to limit it so you can make sure that you did a good job but it sounds like everyone was super stoked on it and um, we'll probably be expanding that next nice. year. So we had over uh, 200 Age of Sigmar people, players, um, showed up to roll dice, and we registered like over 250. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's exciting to see the growth. I think it's just a matter of time before the LVO Age of Sigmar event is rivaling CanCon's Age of Sigmar event, which, which hilariously is the biggest event in the world. It's like 220, 230 uh, AOS players show up to roll dice, and it's in Australia which there's more people in California than in Australia. <laughs> so they have a very dedicated Age of Sigmar uh, player base out there. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so we could go on and on. There was a ton of hobby classes. There was so much cool stuff. Check out frontlinegaming.org for more coverage of the event. If you want to see pictures of some of the cool armies, you can see them there. You can also see them on Spiky Bits. They sent out a uh, um, correspondent to just cover the event. Took tons of pictures of beautiful armies for 40K, just Sigmar, all kinds of stuff. Um, there's a plethora of coverage out there. And if you have any questions, please leave us a comment uh, on the comment section of either the YouTube or over on Frontline Gaming, and we'll be happy to answer them. There's a lot, a lot going on. It's really difficult to actually describe concisely what it was because there's just so much to talk about. I think I haven't had a chance to do the final accounting, but I believe we had about 4,000 people this year. So we've grown a ton. The first year in, uh, in 2014 was just under, it was like 480 people or something like that. <laughs> That's that's not even our 40k champs alone beats. Yeah, that's there's, crazy. There's more people in the 40k champs almost by double than there was the first year total. Wow. Yeah, and it, it we showed no signs of of slowing down. The only thing limiting us right now is that we're literally filling the entire space. Um, so we need to you know we need more breathing room. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, one thing just to add to that at the very end. If you if you're on the fence about going to the LVO it's a great event um and most importantly it I think it's the event to go to for networking for meeting your favorite personalities in the community and for spending time with your team so if you've got a 40k team if you've got a group of guys and you're looking for an event where to spend with those guys because you're scattered around the world or the U.S. the LVO is definitely the event to do that it is more than just the 40k champs now it's it's truly like a a haven for 40k players to go and have just an amazing time or players of all games or yeah all games yeah, yeah. it's not i mean we tend to focus on 40k but it's there that's not even half of the event there yes. was like 1500 unique 40k players wasn't even half the event yep um so it's like we always say the reason that you go to these is to compete do your best have fun uh maybe you want to compete in the hobby side of things you just want to see beautiful armies but the main reason is the camaraderie yep the main reason that you go is for the friendship, seeing people hanging out, getting a fun weekend, going on the pub crawl, which was, again, ridiculous <laughs> and awesome. Um, there's just so much going on, especially at the LVO, so much social stuff going on that that's worth the trip unto itself. And many people actually come to the event and don't play in anything. They just come. They get their con badge, they come, they hang out, they go check out the vendors, buy some stuff, take pictures, talk to people, go do the social stuff. Yep. All right, so also in other news, the ITC 2020 season is being updated as I speak. Been hard at work with the ITC TOs that are in the Facebook group. Uh, amazing how many people come out of the woodwork when it's time to update the season. And all these, there's all these pending people trying to join the Facebook group, and it was hilarious because the um, I, I am not the sole administrator. There's, other, there's actually some hardworking people that help me run that group. And they're like, man, all these people came out of nowhere that want to help, try and help update the, the season. I'm like, they, they're like, where were they all year when we've been working on this diligently all year long? So the other TOs are like, why don't we wait until after we're done updating the season and these people can earn their stirrups by actually participating throughout the year? I was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Everybody, yep. everybody wants to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster shit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to come sliding in and expressing your opinion at the last minute. You got to do the work. Because the other TOs, literally, they're working all year to help us make it as good as it can be. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so those of you who are waiting on your uh, on your pending application to join the ITCTO group, uh, please just be patient. We'll let you get in there as soon as we're done updating the season. So to give you an idea of what's going on for those of you out there, um, obviously this impacts a lot of people. And 
to that point, the growth of the IDC in the 2019 season was astounding. It was astounding. Last year, just to put just one metric, right? Because I haven't even had a chance to go through and do all the math. Last year, there was, 10, there was over 10,000 registered 40K players in the ITC. This season, the 20, or the, this previous season, there was over 14,000 registered 40K players. Just 40K. There was more registered 40K players than in all of the ITC combined last season, the season prior. Wow. 40, 40% growth. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's, that's insane. That's nuts. And then obviously there's more events. We got we got more majors this year. We got more events. I I'd say that now we have almost a bi-weekly. We have we have so many tournaments majors going on that we have an entire podcast that spawned out of just covering them all and they're struggling to cover them all and that's 40k yep. stat center. Yeah, it's it's the growth has been incredible and I'm going to write an article about it as soon as I have a chance to catch my breath. But the most exciting part of seeing what's been happening. Um, and I want to, I want to write it into an article so I can cover it in the depth that it deserves is how incredibly international it's become. We had players coming from Singapore that play ITC events there this year. There's uh, a major in, um, uh, I want to say in Malaysia, there's multiple GTs in Thailand and China, China. Yeah. Um, we've seen incredible growth in the Asian sector in latin america there's a, there's going to be six itc events in mexico alone next season yeah and they're, they're in uruguay bolivia uh venezuela chile bolivia they had a 450 person event in spain it's nuts the french uh, a lot of uh, players from france have just reached out I, i'm sorry i haven't had a chance to respond to your email i will um they want to participate russia's been picking it up it's it really has hit the point of critical mass. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And um, one thing we didn't mention, uh, which was the WTC ETC split, uh, we what what that shows me is that there are people, individual community leaders from all over the world who want to make this global. And everything I'm seeing with the emails, with the tos, with the events spreading over the world, with the split, is that this is this is going to be very quickly a global phenomenon, a global sport. It's something I mean, that everyone it, around the world it watches. Is. It, it is a global uh, phenomenon now. A more global. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, and it, like there's there's deals that we got cooking in the background with some highly motivated individuals, which I don't want to talk about until they become uh, more solidified there's some incredibly exciting things that are coming yes like i can't wait to be able to talk more about some like some of these are like kind of pie in the sky ideas but they're not they're they're, they're plausible right like there's some really really cool stuff um that we're working on trying to make a reality so this next season is going to be pivotal pivotal for the itc there's gonna be a lot of change a lot of positive stuff it's gonna be really really cool and um can't wait to see where it goes because the sky's the limit. Yep. Uh, and to give you, Kevin, an update on the, the changes that we're working on right now, I'm fingers crossed. I'm hoping to have it all done by the end of the week. Might not, but that's my goal. Uh, if, if not, at least through, you know, by the weekend, I'm hoping to get everything done. And it, thank you so much to the ITCTOs and everybody else who's helping. Um, and thank you to BCP. They're updating everything real time. So they've been catching a lot of negativity fairly um, for what happened at the LVO, but they are – Please remember, they are still working really hard to give you guys a great experience, a great product. Um, 
So we're updating the missions, hammering out the ins and outs of that, adding some secondaries, modifying some secondaries, maybe dropping some that are less popular, King of the Hill, which it's funny. I think I'm one of the only people that likes it, um, <laughs> but it's very, it's not chosen very frequently, uh, uh, which, you know, is telling, uh, but you know, old school is still the most popular mission and it's one of the lowest scoring missions, which is also telling a lot of people playing don't really know what they're doing, <laughs> but you know, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair yeah. in any game, you know, like what is it in League of Legends? Like 90% of the people are like bronze tier or like rock tier or whatever. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's most people, definitely... most people play casually. Yes. Yeah, that's totally yes. fine. Um, so we're looking at updating at that. Some of the things that have been like we've already decided on and we're already implementing them is for 40k only, not for uh, Underworld slash Shadespire uh, Kill Team or AOS, 40k only because it's grown so much. Um, you're going to be able to get six scores for your overall. It used to be five. It's five for everybody else. For, so for 40k, you can get up to six scores. Um, and we just bumped everything up, up to four RTTs, up to five GTs, up to six majors. You need one major to get a full score. Um, so that we are implement, implementing that for faction awards. It's bumped up to five, same mm -hmm. formula as it was before, but just bumped up to five. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need at least one GT to, to maximize your faction score. And that's because we've seen like, whereas, you know, in years past, the average player went to one event. Um, now we're seeing that that's bumped up and that the people, the top 25, 30% of the ITC are going to like 10 events. Yes. Uh, so it'll just make it more exciting. Yeah. Right. It'll, it'll make those RTTs more exciting to If you're one of those players that really only goes to RTTs, you're going to get a bigger score. And for the players that are going to, you know, like Richard Seeland went to like 13 events or something like that. Um, it's going to make it much more exciting. Now you have to get another score to maximize. So it'll be even more exciting. You won't have that sort of like seven, eight months in where things start to solidify. Although this year, Richard came out of nowhere at the end of the season um, where we had Jim sort of like dominating for so long. Right. It should make that a little bit more exciting. Yeah. What, what, what I also like about it is that it encourages, uh, not career ICCers, but, but the players who are shooting for top rankings in the ITC and to potentially win the ITC, it encourages them to actually circuit instead of sitting on five or four big wins. Yeah. Um, you know, so like, like they're, they're already going to this many events anyway. for the very, the very top of the yes. competitive track, this changes nothing. Yeah. But, but now it, now if like, if you've got like a Richard Siegler next year, he has five good wins, but he has one bad event or he just does, does only doesn't go to any other events other than those five. Um, then you've got potentially another guy, and this is what Reese means by excitement. You got another guy coming in there and, and putting six solid scores, but maybe not as many wins, but he'd still be able to compete with Richard because he's going to more. He went to more events and put up more quality. So a little, little bit more quality and quantity. And like you said, it is very exciting. Yeah. It's just going to lead to, it's going to make it more interesting, especially from the perspective of a viewer. Um, so that's, that's already been, that decision has already been made. And uh, we have also decided to officially codify the super major. Um, there was no reason not to. It's already a, in common usage. Uh, people in the, the community of ITC players already use the term. We might as well go ahead and codify it, make it official. So for this season, we decided for it not to have any impact on the rankings or the scores. Basically, it is just a major with an extra cool name, right? And it's a, an event of 205 or more players that has seven or more rounds. Why is it 205? As we do with all the other um, denominations, we account for attrition, mm. 
right? So why is a major 58 not 64? Because typically speaking, we see 10% no-shows. That allows you to sell 64 tickets, have the normal amount of people not show up and still be a major. Mm -hmm. Same with GT. But what we've seen is super major level and bigger that the, the attrition tends to be more like 20%. So instead of saying it has to be 256, uh, you could sell 256 tickets but have 20% uh, no-shows, which is normal, and then still hit that, still get that feather in your cap of being a super major. But it also requires seven or more rounds. Um, so events that are like, you know, a million people but only five rounds or six rounds wouldn't hit that because they're not determining a true champion. Again, that's not a a put down on them. It's not a dig, nothing like that. It applies to some of our own events like the SoCal open. The SoCal open will not be a super major because of that stipulation. It's two days again this year in, um, for the 2020 event, but the BAO could, because it will be potentially, it'll be nine rounds. So there's only like a handful of events that this even applies to basically the LVO, obviously probably the BAO. I would imagine that, that that's almost a surefire, uh, Nova this last year hit it. And then Adepticon looks like it's going to hit it this year. So yeah, and the super major thing is is definitely something that that's exciting, you know, for TOs is to hit as well. It's a it's it, it's it, like you join the, the the big kids club. Yeah, it encourages three day events, which I think a lot of people want. You know, the the small the larger events that have two days with multiple undefeated winners does leave a bad taste in the mouth of both the competitors and the people watching and you know consuming the event and the entertainment. Um, it's it's so. it, from a logistics perspective, I, I get it. It's so much easier yes. to go for a weekend. Absolutely. But um, from from like yeah, like a grand tournament experience, you want one undefeated champion. Yeah. Right. Um, so logistically, it's not possible for everybody, but the, you know, for the events that can do it, it this gives you a little bit more of a special moniker. And your event will also produce more points, not because of anything we're doing with the scoring formula, simply because you have more rounds and you're yes. bigger. Also, uh, putting the structure in place now is important for the future when, when um, you know, like when we expand and grow. So, 100%. Yes. So then that's kind of an update on where we're at right now. Um, Salty John put up an article on Frontline Gaming talk about his wish, wish list for changes to the ITC. If you want to join the conversation, that would be a good place to do it. Or you can leave some comments uh, on this podcast about stuff you'd like to see. Um you know, things you like, you don't like, etc. And uh, we do read it. We can't respond to all of it. There's too much, but we do read it all. So please share your opinion. And of course, if you like the ITC, you like what it's about, you think it's improved your hobby, consider supporting it financially via the ITC Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can do so for as little as $1 a month. 100% of the money goes back into supporting the ITC. And it keeps us alive because it is not cheap to administrate this global community. So upcoming events, we have quite a few events already uh, coming up. We have one GT, Captain Con 2020 GT, and that's in Rhode Island, Warwick, Rhode Island. And then, of course, for Age of Sigmar, we have quite events coming up as well, including in China, in, in Guangzhou, China. Pretty cool, the South China Open. Uh, nailed neat. it. It's Guangzhou, I've been there, actually. Yeah, he nailed it. Yeah, I was like, oh, he got it right. Yeah. So uh, check that out. Again, really hitting on the point of how international this has mm. become. Current 40k ITC top five. We already have people with more than 250 points. Already with people with two events, and then we're only one and a half weeks in. Oh, all right. Jack Lord, you need to screenshot this right now. Also, your name is awesome. And Jack Lord, you just need to stay at the top, man. I'm rooting for you now the whole season because a guy named Jack Lord winning the event. He's number one right now, baby. 
Yeah. And uh, he's been playing chaos. Good for him. We have Stefan Pazdurka in second, Evan Stump in third, Adam Baker in fourth, Joshua Funky in fifth. The beginning of the season is always fun because it is the Wild West. Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. Current hobby track top five, Charles Arnett leading the pack. Uh, Patrick Roca, Roca in second, Jeffrey Merrick in third, Ariel Cortez in fourth, JT Steiger in fifth. Age of Sigmar, our current top five, we have Drew Alexander in first, Jonathan Green in second, Miles Tugman in third, Joe Gerba in fourth, Brad Bidler in fifth. Current kill team top five, Kyle Fierstad in first, Alvaro Lorenzo in second, Will Reinbold in third, Sergio Sedano Conitrote in fourth, that's a heck of a name, <laughs> and in fifth, pretty sure this is a real name, Ham Sandwich. <laughs> You know, Uh-oh. we actually have rolled out rules not to put in names that are. If you try to put in a name that is wildly inappropriate, you will have the, you will get slapped down pretty hard. But ham sandwich is pretty good. I yeah. think that one should get a pass. <laughs> uh, all right, and then we have a, a couple pictures of some uh, FLG paint oh, studios. These are beautiful, are absolutely amazing. This is just one part of it. Of course, since this is an audio only podcast, you can't see them. Go over to flgpaintstudio.com and you can see some of these gorgeous nights that were recently done. And uh, consider getting your next uh, paint commission done with the flgpaintstudio.com. Um, can't wait to get some more of that business. Always oh. taking new commissions, and if you think you got what it takes apply via the FLG paint studio, uh, paint commission application. And we're always looking at new painters. Yeah. This, this is such a beautiful Moirac, Armager Morax. This is a part of actually Frankie's new, yeah. new, uh, army. Yeah, he's, he bought a renegade Knights. Army. Dude, there's, it's amazing. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's a, a Morax, two Knights, uh, Mortarian, and then some little chumpos. And it is, it's an army that plays really quick. It's really fun. If it goes first, it almost assuredly wins the game kind of an issue in the in, in this edition of the game <laughs> but uh if you go second you can definitely give him trouble but um i've never seen him lose going first actually that's not true i saw a towel player did defeat him um even going second but that, the drones were just red fire in that game but um you'll be seeing more of this army frankie's gonna be playing it this year because it's, it's fun and it's quick but the, it's such a beautiful army nice well, thank you for joining us for this longer episode of Singles from the Frontline, but we've been off the air for a couple of weeks, and there was a lot to cover. We hope you enjoyed it. For those of you who came to the Las Vegas Open, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It wouldn't happen without you. To all the people that volunteered or are on the, the, the LVO staff, uh, heartfelt thank you uh, for all your hard work. The event wouldn't happen without you. It's a phenomenal amount of work to make it come together. Everybody really, you know, bust their butt to make it happen and we can't wait to see what we do next year and of course grab your BAO tickets that's going to be at the end of May at Kublicon that's going to be the one of the next super majors after Adepticon so you can really throw up a big score right away yeah and you don't want to miss this year's BAO 2020 there's there's um it's going to be big it is indeed well thank you so much for joining us and until next week happy gaming we'll talk to y'all next Wednesday <laughs>